0: Welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here uh, at Blackhawk Church. Welcome to those of you with me here in this room at our Braider Way site. And those of you who are watching me on a screen, perhaps you are in traditions at the Braider Way site, or maybe you are at the upper house, uh, Blackhawk downtown, or you're at a new facility in Fitchburg. Welcome to uh, everyone. If you're part of our Blackhawk Chinese ministry, Dijon Zimei Ping An, and uh, all sites and venues, why don't you uh, join me in a, like a shout out to a brand new venue that we have at the Braider Way site, the Gospel Fusion Venue, led by Pastor Collier McNair and his team. Let's uh, hear it for those guys right there. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Brand new venue. Yeah, it's uh, our attempt to kind of turn up the dial on being serious about being multicultural. Hey, we're continuing uh, in our uh, series, and we're calling this series uh, The Unexpected King. Uh, And last fall, it was The Unexpected Kingdom, and then Charles picked up the series again last week and started this section, which we're calling The Unexpected King. And to start off today's talk, uh, I need a spotter, so I've asked uh, Pastor uh, Joel to come out here and to kind of help me with this. So I got to warm up just a little bit here, so, okay. So, all right. You ready? Ready. Okay. Here we go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is not good. Everybody looks very strange from this position right now. Okay. Better let me down. All right. Let's hear it for Joel. Awesome. (laughs) Oh, look how red my face is. Wow. Okay, the reason I did that was because, uh, that's the whole message right there. (laughs) That's that's the entire uh, that's that's pretty much the entire message. Because uh, when I was in a handstand, uh, well, I was unique. I was the only one, I think, in any of the sites and venues that was doing a handstand at that time, and I was seeing everything from a different perspective everything was upside down. That's the whole talk <laughs> because Jesus, when he comes into our world, he comes in and basically wants us to follow him. By following him, we should we should see everything in a completely upside down way. He's the ultimate upside down uh, leader. He's uh, the greatest, and yet he came uh, to serve. So in our world, uh, you are great if, you know, just fill in the blank, you know, for your particular world, whatever tribe or culture or whatever you're in. So what is is greatness in your world? Like you're a high school uh, student, uh, greatness is uh, high score on the ACT—that's great, you know. Or and you going to college and go to the right schools, you know. oh, top schools, that kind of thing. If you work in the world, then it's uh, if you got an organizational chart, you're the highest on the organization chart. Or if you're making money, it's like I got more money than other people, you know, that kind of thing. Or uh, whatever uh, it is. Or you, you know, you've got a lot of kids. You brag about your kids. My kids, you know, have straight teeth and beautiful smiles, and you know. Or uh, you're thin and in good shape, you know, wow, awesome, I'm, you know, there you go, I'm that, whatever, whatever world you pay attention to, whatever tribe you follow, whatever you do, there's a, there's a scale, there's a code about who's the greatest, we all know that code for our little group, and Jesus says, I want you to do this, boom, turn it all upside down everything. There's a little phrase that he actually uses uh, for this. Here's the, here's the phrase, and it goes uh, something like this. Anyone, and let's read this out loud together. Reading with me, all sites and venues. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all, or the first will be last and the last will be first. Read that last line again. The first will be last and the last will be first. Let me ask a question. All sites and venues, if you kind of participate in this survey, how many of you have heard that phrase or a phrase like it before? Raise your hand. Okay, wow. In this room, that's about everybody. I don't know what it's like in the rooms that you're in. Here's the point, I think, uh, today. I don't think I'm going to teach you anything new today. I think, I, think, I think you already know it. Everybody knows it already. The first will be last, boom. Last will be first. If you want to be great in Jesus' world, you turn everything, boom. That's the the whole talk. That's the whole talk right there. We are to be different, upside down from the rest of the world. And I don't think you're learning that today. I think you already knew it. That's what we're gonna talk about. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter nine. Mark nine. Last uh, week, I uh, watched Pastor Charles' message uh, online, and uh, I saw this chart. And I thought that really summarizes a lot. Charles put this up uh, last week. This is the unexpected kingdom. So what was expected from Jesus' followers as the king, he would be a a victorious military leader who defeats the Romans. And the followers of the king, what they expected was powerful, They, they would be, the followers would be powerful in the kingdom of God. Awesome. He's the king. We're following him. We'll be powerful rulers of the new kingdom of God. What Jesus proclaimed actually was the king would be a suffering servant who dies, His people, and uh, what Jesus proclaimed, what his followers would follow him to their deaths—they would die. So it's different, completely different from what they expected. Uh, Jesus now is in Galilee, and he's uh, doing his teaching uh, by walking and talking to his disciples. We pick it up in chapter nine, verse thirty. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. This is the second time. In the book of Mark, that Jesus is predicting his death. And there's two things that he said there that they have no categories for that he would, the king, they know he's the king. They've attested to that, that the king would die and that the king would rise from the dead. They have no categories for that. That's not what they expect at all. They've been reading their Hebrew Bible, and their Hebrew Bible, as far as they're concerned, doesn't say anything about the fact he's going to die. It says that when he establishes his throne, it's going to last forever and ever. We read this in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established. What's that word? That's what they expected. When the king comes to establish his throne, the Messiah is going to reign forever. Isaiah chapter 9, we read this. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be, what's it say? No end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and what? Forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. When the Messiah comes, when Christ comes, when the king arrives, he will establish his throne. And his throne will last what? Forever. So this idea of dying, that's not the way they read the Hebrew Bible. That's the way they read it. He's going to last forever. Can't you read? That's what it says. So when he, the king, talks about dying, they have no categories for that. What? That's not what we expect. When he says he's going to rise from the dead, well, resurrection, that's taught in Daniel chapter 12. And uh, the way Daniel talks about it is that, well, that's, going to, that's what's going to happen at the very end. It's going to happen at the very end. You know, at the end of everything, then there will be a giant, gigantic resurrection to righteousness and then to judgment. So there's no idea in their minds from reading their Hebrew Bible that there was going to be a resurrection of one person before the very end. They had no categories for it. Jesus is going to Galilee and he's, and he's teaching them. But they... They're following him, but they're not paying attention. Verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So they are walking on their way to Galilee, or in Galilee, and they're on their way to Capernaum, and he has told them that he's going to die and rise from the dead. And then there's a discussion, there's an argument amongst them, and what are they arguing about? Who's going to be the greatest? That's what they're arguing about. So he sits down in the house, and then he kind of, he gives them this principle, and what does he say? Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Have you guys heard that phrase before? Yeah, yeah. So he's telling them, it's different. No, 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 no. It's different. You guys expect that you're going to be the greatest because I'm the king, and I'm establishing a throne, and you're arguing about who's going to be sitting around next to me. Now you're seeing things. You don't get really what I'm about. So he gives him this phrase, which all of us know. And then uh, there's a child in the house, so he calls the child and says, come over here. And so this may seem strange to us, but in their culture, they would have totally got it. In our world, children are elevated. Whatever the child wants, that's let, let, make the child happy. Whatever. <laughs> that's not the way it was back in those days. So a rabbi would have never really had a child around him. So you, so children are the very lowest on the. So you had lead male leaders, men, women, children. Okay, so they're the lowest. So he, he takes a child and he welcomes his child, that's that's odd, it's odd, he's great, why should he have a child around him, oh, if you welcome these children, that's exactly what my father wants you to do, or if you welcome the least, that would be another way, people who have no power, that's what I'm about, see, I, I do this, boom. And so, what Mark is doing in his uh, narrative, the way he presents Jesus, is that he repeats this theme now, and he arranges the stories about Jesus, what happens to him, in a way to drive home this theme. So, if we continue as we, uh, as we read, we see this same theme over and over and over again. So, here's the principle that he's trying to uh, drive home. Uh, true meaning of greatness is you set aside personal ambition and you welcome the least of God's people. So whoever's least in your world, you elevate them, whoever's least in your world, and you set aside your own personal ambition. So at the end of chapter uh, 9 in the book of Mark, then you see another incident with children, and he's basically saying, hey, if you're rude to children, you're really, you're really in trouble. And then in chapter 10, uh, verse 1, he starts talking about divorce. A question comes to him about divorce. And, of course, in their world, uh, women women had no power at all. So it's very hierarchical. Here's men. Here's women. And if you're a man and if your wife, you know, burns the eggs for breakfast, really, you, you could divorce her. Divorce her for very little reasons at all. Jesus says if you do that, you're committing adultery. Don't do that. By that, he's elevating, he's elevating women to put them on the same level as men. It's very it's like, ah. it's like whoa, that kind of thing. And then uh, in chapter ten, then he has another scene with children, and the child children start to come to him. And disciples said, No, 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 no. He's too great for that. He says, No, no. Let the children come to me. That's okay, because he's great and he's okay to be around the least. Of these, And then there's a a rich uh, man who comes to him and asks him about what he must do to enter the kingdom of God. So in their world, so rich is up here and poverty is down here, like that. So he says, well, you need to do these things. The rich man says, well, I've done those things. And then he says, well, sell everything you got and give to the poor. And then the rich man walks away. He's like, and he walks away. You know, what does Jesus say about the rich, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's, that's a metaphor for what? How easy is it for a camel to go through the eyes of a needle, you guys? It's, it's, it's what? It's impossible. It's impossible. So the disciple go, whoa, rich people, they're up here. <laughs> they're up here. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> he says, yes, yeah, impossible. The disciples says, well, who, nobody can get in if the rich can't get in. Jesus says, no, uh, with God, all things are possible. a story about grace kind of blows their minds. And then at the, because rich are here. See, if you're here, you're going to, whatever you want, especially if you're a moral good person like this rich guy was. Jesus is just turning over everything, you guys. It's the whole message right here. It's the whole message. That's the whole message. He sees everything differently. He wants his followers to see everything differently. Are we paying attention? So, Mark then uh, has a, that phrase again at the end, uh, after the rich ruler, after that whole thing. Mark inserts this phrase again. You see it in chapter 10, verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. You guys heard that before? Yeah, it's, it's a constant theme from the king because the king is different, and he expects his followers to be different. So we pick it up, chapter 10, uh, the narrative, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Mark is doing something very intentional here. If you were reading the book of Mark, this is, this is for free, you guys. If you were reading the book of Mark, and you said, well, how many times did Jesus go to Jerusalem? You'd say, well, he hadn't been there yet. He's just now getting there. But if we read the other gospel narratives, we see that he's been in Jerusalem different times. In the Gospel of John, it's very clear. He goes at different times. The biblical authors, Mark is doing something here, you guys. This is the first time Jerusalem happens in the book of Mark. That He's going there. He's doing something. Mark is trying to show his readers. Now the king, who's unexpected, he's going to establish who he is in Jerusalem. Third group of people, these are those who follow him. Not the disciples, but other followers. They're afraid because they get a sense that a revolution is about ready to happen. It could cost them their lives. He's following. Followers are following. But are they paying attention? Or their expectations? Is that what's ruling their life? So we have another prediction of his death and resurrection. Verse 33. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This is the most complete of all the predictions. It makes it very clear that he knows that the Jews... Don't have the power to kill him, they will have to turn him over to the Romans, here it's called the Gentiles, in order, and when that happens, he's going to be beat up and flogged, and he will die, and then he'll be resurrected. Of course, the disciples, they hear this, and it goes whoosh right over their heads because they have a different set of expectations about what it means to follow the king. If you're a Christ follower, things are going to go well for you, right? I mean, he's the king. Verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, you know, after he just predicts his death, teacher, they said. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. How you guys doing? You following this? He predicts his death again, and again. There's like arguing about like who's going to be the greatest. James and John come forward because you know they're the special two. They're the ones that went on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know he just had the two. Oh no, did he have two go with him to the Mount of Transfiguration, or was there was there another guy? Oh yeah, and. Chapter 9, it was James, John, and who's, what's that other guy's name? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In chapter 5, when he goes into uh, to, to raise that little girl from the dead, chapter 5, he takes three with him. It's James, John, and now he's on his way to Jerusalem. And And two separate themselves from that group, and who's that other guy? Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's brothers. They're brothers. Blood's thicker than friendship. We're going to have Zebedee boys. They're going to be on the right and left here. All right, he's the king. He established his kingdom, and his kingdom will last for what? Yeah. Awesome. Verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Glory. Verse 38. You don't, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Apparently, uh, from what we get here, uh, drinking the cup and baptism are metaphors in Jesus' mind for death. He's going to die. And yeah, these guys are going to die a death. He knows that. James is actually the first uh, martyr in the, in the church. Jesus knows that. But he says, but sit on my right and left, that's not for me. It's for, it's for others. Someone else grants that. Verse 41. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. What's it say? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the, here's the summary of what he's saying here. Look at this. This is the world's way. The rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their great ones exercise dominion over them. The kingdom way, it's not, not so with you. No, 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 no. Whoever wants to be great will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first will be the slave of all. Everyone will be greater. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life for answer for many. That's good. That's the principle. Whoever wants to be first, be last. Last, be first. Great. we got about 10 minutes left. So why don't we pray, may God apply that to your heart, and we're done. I don't think you've learned anything. I think you already knew that. Maybe you didn't know exactly where that occurred or why. Now you know. Awesome. Servant. I should, should be a servant. If you're in leadership, and this is nothing new to you. There's a whole spate of literature about servant leadership. It's like a whole bunch of books. You you watch TED talks on it until you know the cows come home. I mean, you know, it's forever. It wouldn't be hard for me to find many articles in Harvard Business Review about this. This is in vogue, you guys. If you want to be a great leader, you should be serving. It's not hard to find talks on this, you guys. Everybody knows it. Like you guys knew that before you even sat down today. I'm sick of hearing talks about servant leadership. Why don't we see it? Why don't we see it? Why don't we want our leaders to be this way? Why don't we we want people in our own labs and dorms and world to emulate Christ? What's going on here? Why don't we see it more often? That's a good question. That's the question I'm interested in. Here's a story. The other day, uh, it was my day off, and my wife and I went to a department store. And uh, we went to this department store on the first floor. uh, There are all kinds of things that uh, I don't particularly like, but uh, the woman I've been married to for almost 42 years, she kind of likes that floor. So there's lots of clothes, not just women's clothes, but men's clothes. My wife has a secret trick when she takes me to these stores. She's trying to get me to try clothes on and stuff like that. I don't like clothes. I, I'm, I have to wear them, but I don't really like to do that. And there were shoes, 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 shoes everywhere on this floor. And we're just going, did I tell you is my day off? Did I tell you that? And so we're just like, I'm just going around with my wife. Finally, they have these really nice chairs there. And she's a loving woman, so she knows that I'm just like going crazy. So she you can sit down there, and I sit down, and I pull out my device, and I start answering emails that you guys send me. And I'm just kind of doing that kind of a thing, and then all of a sudden I feel guilty about paying attention to you, not paying attention to my wife, because I want to be a good husband. So I get up, put my hands in my pocket, and I walk over to these shoes with her, and I stand there for a while. Those look great, honey, look, they look great. And then I go over here and she's trying something else on it. Oh, that's wonderful, too. Good. That's great, 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 great. And you know, the, the whole question do I look good in this? I know how that, that question goes. I know it's always awesome, honey. That's not, I like that one better than I know how to do that. Dite is my day off. It's my day off. And I'm doing all the right things, all the right things. Being that loving, oh, Pastor Chris, you're such a loving husband. I'm such a loving husband. And we were there for about 19 hours, 19 minutes or something like that. <laughs> and finally, you know, we get on an escalator. I love escalators because you don't have to do any work on an escalator at all. No work at all. And we get on an escalator, and this escalator takes us up to the second floor. And as the first floor disappears and the second floor comes in, I see a canoe. I see canoes over there. I think, I like this floor. I like this floor. And I see fishing stuff. And i think, I like this floor a lot. And then I see tents, and I'm thinking, I love this floor. This is awesome floor. And all of a sudden, I'm very interested in being in that store. See, I think you guys can come listen to talk like this. And you hear, oh, yeah, the first should be last. Yeah, I get that. Good talk, Pastor Chris. That's what we should learn at church on our day off yep it's good for me to be here and then we walk into our cars we drive away and we get in the real world the way the world really works and there we get some energy yeah about achieving about being our best, doing more, making more, scoring higher. Yep, awesome. This is the way the world, good talk. But that's not really the way the world works. Our escalator is called Selfish ambition. We are followers of Christ, but is anybody paying attention? Is anybody paying attention? It's hard to pay attention, isn't it? (laughs) Because it's very unique, completely. You will be completely different than everybody else. Everybody. I'm not talking about, like, the evil world. I'm talking about Peter, and James, and John and other followers of Christ. You'd be completely different if you, boom. It's very difficult to do this. I was watching my favorite channel the other day, National Geographic channel, and I saw this and I thought, man, that's what it's like to be a follower of Christ. I pay attention. Watch this. I'm just thinking. This is this is what a disciple, this is what a disciple of Christ who's paying attention. This is what it's like to live in Madison, to live in our world today, around other Christians actually, around people we fellowship with. It's really difficult because the whole culture is pushing against us. If you know anything about those salmon, you know they're going they're going to. A place to die, actually. That's what it's like to be a follower of Christ. Are we paying attention? See? How can you do this? Because it's so it's so different. Well, that's why we have life groups. Because in theory, you put in life groups other people who've kind of heard the talk. <laughs> you go, "Wow, oh, that was a hard talk. Does anybody else have struggles with this in their own, you mean, can't... Can't we work hard and do well and stuff? And Well, and how am I supposed to be humble? And you talk about that in a group. How can you do that? How can you achieve in the world today and yet still be humble? You talk about that in your group. That's why we have life groups. Because it's so difficult to be this kind of person. Boom. We all need spotters. Handstands are hard. need somebody to help you. Help you make it. Why should we even try to do this? <gasps> because we're followers of the king. He wants us to pay attention. He's the model. So though though he was great, see, though he was rich, he became poor. Though he was powerful all-powerful, all-powerful, he came to die. Though he was absolutely the top and unique, he came to serve others. Though he's God of gods, Lord of lords, he became an embryo and put himself in the womb of a teenage girl. Boom, boom. We call ourselves followers, but are we paying attention? Are we paying attention here? It's so hard to do this. But we should do it because he's the king. Ten forty five and mark, we read this. Read this with me. For even the son of man. Let's do stop again. Let's do it again. The the whole the important word here is the word even. So you read that, put emphasis in it. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for men. We call ourselves followers of Christ, but is anybody paying attention? Let's pray. Father, it is so easy for us, we have to do no work at all, to, to, as we get out of, listen to a message from the gospel about the way we should be. And then we get into the real world and we go, oh my gosh, that's not really the way the world works. And we get energized when we get away from a, a call to humility. We, we get energized by achieving. We get energized by having more. We get energized by being better than. We get energized by having people serve us. Notice us. That energizes us. To serve others. To put people who are the least on the social ladder above us. That's so hard. We pray, Father, you would help us to be like that. To follow the king. To pay attention to him and to reorder our lives in an upside-down kind of way. We pray this in Christ's name for the sake of his reputation. All God's people said.